Thank you so much, Julio. Thank you so much, Leroy. Thank you so much, team. Uh, that was just what I needed. Friends, we are, as I said at the welcome and announcements, in the midst now of our Lenten journey leading up to our celebration of Easter. I want to highlight, to draw your attention to two things. To my left, to your right, we have our baptismal font, the old school baptismal font I found in the basement. We brought it out for Lent, and we have the cross uh, centered here. Uh, this is kind of the story of the journey. And before I get into uh, today's message, I just want to highlight that this is a image, this is a metaphor for the journey that we are inviting all of you to be taking this Lent and really taking your whole life, that we have passed through the waters of baptism. And when we do, and again, we're encouraging to, that if you haven't, you might consider that during this Easter uh, season to celebrate baptism with us, um, that we die to our old life and we step into a new life following Jesus Christ, that we're washed of our sins and we can stand born again, clean and made new, free of shame, free of guilt, free of the past, free to move forward in faith and love and life, loving God, loving our neighbor as God calls us to do. And this is an, a metaphor, of course, of the journey because we start Lent with Ash Wednesday and the mantra of Ash Wednesday is, um, from dust you were created and to dust you will return. And that isn't some, just some morbid reminder for the Christian, like, oh, wow, whoa, that, you know, where's the joy in that? I'm, I'm dust and I'm gonna die. No, it's facing our mortality bravely and boldly because of Jesus Christ. We actually don't have to fear death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It is gone when we stand made new in Jesus Christ. And so the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, is the one who can so boldly and bravely and fearlessly face the realities, the difficulties, the struggles, the death that plagues this world, even as we look forward to the resurrection promised in Jesus Christ. And we know we get to taste and experience and live into that resurrection now, and it will fully come in his return. And if we die, we live in Christ, and if, I'm sorry, if we live, we live in Christ. If we die, it's gain. And if Christ comes again before our death, then all the more glory we stand with him in his kingdom. So this is the journey. And today we are going to continue that journey by stepping back into the story of Lazarus, a story familiar for many of us. Uh, we got through the first half two weeks ago, and then I had a bit of a break, and we're going to step into the second half here today. That first half is online. I encourage you, like it, listen to it, post it, share it. It's all out there on the internets. You can, yeah, enjoy that for the first time or again. If not, I'll give you the recap. What was the main point that we are coming through in the first half? That Jesus was about to complete his final sign before we step into the last week of his life, and he's already pointing his people from the good story to the better story, from the good story of healing to the best story of resurrection. Remember, everybody knew that Jesus could already do a good story, a good work, a healing work. That's what they were calling for. Mary, Martha, they're saying, Jesus, come, the one you love is sick. Isn't that awesome <laughs> how we people that get around Jesus start to define themselves by his love? Jesus, the one you love is sick. This written by John, the disciple whom Jesus 
loved. But Jesus is saying, I know it's going to be difficult for you to understand what's happening here, but have faith. Trust me, we're going to exchange the good story of healing to the best story of resurrection. And you're going to see what is possible through me, through my love for my friend Lazarus. So when we told that story, we remember that Jesus just kind of waited two days and then he said, let's go, let's go in, um, to, to Lazarus because we're gonna do this miracle. And then the disciples protested because they knew they were stepping into the, basically they're, they're going out of the, what is it, out of the, the frying pan and into the fire. I mean, they're going from the hot seat to the flames. They're going into the place where they knew they were trying to seek to arrest and kill Jesus. And they protested. And if it wasn't abundantly clear, I do just want to make it abundantly clear that sometimes following Jesus leads us into danger. If you think Jesus, following Jesus is all boring comfort, I don't know if you're really following Jesus because sometimes Jesus calls us into danger. But let's be clear about that. Should we pray for safety and protection for ourselves and our families and our church? Absolutely. Should we pray for a hedge of protection? That's biblical, actually, absolutely. Pray for that hedge of protection around your kids, around your home, around your church, around your community, 100%. Should you pray for travel mercies whenever your kids go on a trip? I'm always praying, God, guide them because I don't know how distracted they're gonna be. Put angels around them, my goodness, just keep them alive. Stay alive, be safe, kids. Um, but then don't be surprised. Celebrate whenever safety, protection, good things come, but don't be surprised. Sometimes following Jesus sends us into the adventure of the danger, of the controversy, of the conflict, of those difficulties, of those struggles. And I gotta say, that's part of the thrill of following Jesus. These guys are gonna get a thrill. They're gonna get more than a thrill. They're gonna go into the danger zone. Sometimes that happens. Jesus travels to Bethany. Martha runs out to meet him. And we ended two weeks ago with that promise that she put her faith in Jesus Christ and the promise of his resurrection. She didn't fully understand it, but she confessed faith in that. And we ended with that. And now we pick up with the story. Let me just read it for you. It's gonna be a big reading, but again, this isn't where you check out. This is where you check in. And hear the word of God. My remote's not working, so I'm going to need you to go along with me. We're going to pick up at verse 28. After she, that's Martha, had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, just like we sang. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, same thing that her sister Martha had said. Lord, if you had been here, that good story could have happened. That healing could have happened. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along her, uh, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus when the Jew, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, 
the sister of the dead man. By this time, there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. G Martha went to Jesus, but Mary stayed and wept. Let's just start with this wonderful assurance that very often in the life of the Christ follower, we go after Jesus. From our perspective, we are going after Jesus. We are following Jesus. We are pursuing Jesus. And I encourage you to make it your life ambition, to make it your life goal, to go where you see God at work, to go where you see Jesus at work to go where you feel the spirit is leading you go and follow pursue jesus be a disciple of his but my people understand and take comfort in this sometimes we go after jesus but sometimes jesus comes to us and i just love how john tells a story to remind us of both because we're gonna wind up in both places at different times in our lives. We're gonna wind up in both of those chairs at different times in our lives. We are going to be in pursuing Jesus, but sometimes we are so broken, we are so needy, we are so weak, we are so lost that we need the good shepherd to come to us. We need the good shepherd to leave the 99 and to come calling our name. We need to just understand and recognize that Jesus is pursuing us. The good shepherd is coming after us. The good shepherd is calling to us. And that is what happens with Mary in this instance. She is so broken and needy that she, she just can't even get up. But when she hears that Jesus is asking for her, when she knows that Jesus wants her, when she knows that Jesus has called her name, she is inspired to get up then and meet him. So wherever you sit today, know that Jesus will be there for you. You can run out and find him where you see him at work, or he will come and call your name and meet you where you're at. So, the story is already unfolding and getting a bit deeper. Mary has now run out to see Jesus. The people uh, thinking that she's going out to the tomb decide to follow her. And there we read this very interesting exchange that happens. It says that Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit and he was moved. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we read a phrase like that in the Bible. That should be a bit of our indication to say, huh, maybe this is a little bit interesting here. Maybe the translators had some difficulty in trying to capture all that is unfolding in the scene. And because I had two weeks to preach this wonderful story, I was able to dig a little bit deeper into that phrase that Jesus was deeply moved or troubled in his spirit. And that actually in the Greek is just one Word. You ready for a lesson? You ready for, ready for the Greek? You, know, you can annoy all your friends and neighbors now with your knowledge you're about to get from the pastor. Ebrimomai. Now, here's the more interesting thing about that one word that is most often used to describe horses going to war. 
if we were to translate that literally, it didn't say Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. It would say Jesus snorted. Now that's an interesting image, isn't it? Jesus snorted. We've seen it unfold in the movies. Two armies are going to battle. To make it clear, we'll just say one is good and one is very, very bad. <laughs> one is definitely the good guys and the good girls and the other are the bad guys and the bad ladies. This is good versus evil. And the two armies come to the battlefield and they stand on the lines and their swords have been sharpened, their spears are ready. They put on the full army. The battle is about to unfold. And we've seen the image of those horses. Even the horses themselves get worked up. They literally get worked up into a froth kicking their hooves and breathing out. And I have to breathe in when I do that so I don't blow snot everywhere because that would be totally disgusting. And the horses are snorting because they know they're going to face a battle. That is the image that we have here of Jesus, that he is actually about to go into battle. And who is he going to ba go battle with? He is about to go into battle with death itself. Jesus is about to face the ultimate enemy and the ultimate enemy we know is death. We know that death is the intruder in the garden. We know that death is the insult to God's gift of life. We know death is the common enemy that we all stand against as we fight for life. And Jesus is about to go into the fight of his life before the fight through death to resurrection and new life. And you have to, to love this image of Jesus, knowing what he was about to face, knowing what he was about to do, is willing to snort in the face of death and run into the battle head first. This is the beautiful image we have of the warrior Jesus who invites us to go to battle with him. This is, of course, the Lenten story. This is the Easter story. When we pass through baptism and we stand a new life, when we remind ourselves from dust you came and a dust you will return, we are putting ourselves on the lines with Jesus, saying we will face our mortality bravely and boldly in and through Jesus Christ because he is the one who offers us resurrection Jesus snorted, he was deeply moved, he was deeply troubled. He said, take me to where the body is. And then the very next thing that we read, the very next thing that we read here, what did it say? Anybody remember that verse? Thank God you were paying attention to the reading. When I was a kid, it was a bit of a joke. I go to Sunday school classes, I go to Bible camps, and of course they'd want to quiz you and you know, the kid who memorized the most verses, you know, could win the prize. That was always the first one, right? Oh, yeah, I'll remember. I got one, John uh, eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. It was a bit of a joke to me as a kid, I have to admit. It was an easy one to remember. But go through life long enough. And this becomes the farthest thing from a joke that you'll ever read about Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Because what John has showed us again so masterfully now isn't just the warrior, the tender warrior. The one who will snort in the face of death and the one who will weep with you and stand with you in your mourning. 
Jesus's ministry blows me away. Jesus throughout his ministry, as we've gone through actually the past several weeks, as we've gone through these miracle stories, Jesus will confuse and confound and strike awe in all those who are willing to hear him and follow him. We've seen Jesus providing comfort for those who are mourning, and we've seen Jesus standing boldly and overturning tables in the face of injustice. We have heard comforting words of Jesus to those who love him, and we have heard challenging words of Jesus. We've heard things from Jesus that seem abundantly clear and just spelled out for us. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him might not die but have eternal life. And then on the heels of that, we'll hear Jesus say, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. What does that mean, Jesus? We have seen Jesus rushing towards opportunities that he knew the Spirit was leading him towards, and we have seen Jesus waiting, almost insultingly waiting when the one he loves is sick. We've seen these, in a sense, uh, the tension between all these instances and these experiences of Jesus. And if we take a moment to reflect on all of our lives, we again see ourselves in both places. We see ourselves as Martha and we can see ourselves as Mary. And if we look through the story of our own lives, I know there's times when I have needed the comfort of Jesus and there are times when I've needed the stern command of Jesus. There are times when I needed Jesus telling me he loves me, and there are times when I needed Jesus telling me, get up and go and love people in my name. There are times in my life when I was charging after Jesus, and there are times in my life when I was sitting, weeping, broken, and I needed him to come to me. And that is the beautiful image that John has given us here of this tender warrior who can snort in the face of death, but is also willing to stand and weep with those who weep. And I know someday we'll need the weeping warrior with us. And maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're there right now in that broken place. Know that Jesus will sit and weep with you in your pain, in your brokenness, in your hurt. He will sit and weep with you. And friends, I know I need both in my life. And I'm guessing we all do. And again, we have that in Jesus Christ. So here's where we're at. Jesus has come to Bethany. He's met Martha, he's now gone to Mary. He's now confronting death. He's snorting at the battle line. He's about to face this grave. He has been willing to sit and weep with Mary in her pain. And one more thing before we get to the final climax of the story. He says, take me to where they laid him. It says, once again, Abramamai, he was deeply moved in his spirit. The people go with Jesus to the grave. Jesus there is about to tell them to roll that stone away. He says he wants it rolled away. But there's this one little interlude that has always fascinated me. And it's so Martha that she's the one who says this. He says, roll the stone away. But she has this moment, even in her weeping, in her pain, she is so focused on the externals. She says, but Lord, by now, it's been four days, and by now, there's probably an odor. But I love, every once in a while, I go back and I look to the old King James Version and how they translated it. And, of course, I heard this years ago. But you got to love how the King James puts it. It said, by now, Lord, he 
stinketh. <laughs> Isn't that a great, there's another memory verse for you. By now he stinketh. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something about myself and some of you won't believe me, but I encourage you to test me on this as I'm your pastor and I will not lie to you. I don't stink. I have very few spiritual gifts. I am rarely the biggest guy in the room, the strongest guy in the room, the smartest guy in the room. I'm certainly not the most talented guy in the room compared to our musicians. I am not many things, but this I am. I smell great all of the time. I don't stink. I, I walk into a room and it is like a bouquet of flowers has entered the presence. You don't believe me. I challenge you. I encourage you. Come right up to me. Give me a hug and take a whiff. I always smell awesome. It was a genetic gift given to me from my grandfather. I, can, I am not joking. I am not joking. I take great joy in that I do not stinketh. But even I have my limits. <laughs> I remember one time when Eden was a baby, actually. Not a baby. She was pretty young. Uh, you know, I'm a biker. I'm always trying to interject those stories. It must have been a particularly hot, muggy, sweaty, awful day when we lived in Canada and uh, on the East Coast. And I must have been out for several hours. And I came home and I got off my bike and I came in the house. And I don't know what was happening. But at some point, Eden came running up to me. And I probably swept her up into my arms. And I hugged her and I kissed her as a father will do. But at that moment, Eden, almost because she had never experienced this before in all of her life, this actually happened she stopped and she was genuinely in shock she goes daddy you stink somebody say I stinketh somebody say to the person next to you you stinketh there's way more excitement for the second one there by the way than the first one I heard way more people wanting to say to their neighbor you stinketh <laughs> You know, I, I walk into my house now and my wife loved these, these scentsy things. And I walk in and I, I see these little burners all over the house and, and, and they glow and they emit all these wonderful ores. And I walk into the laundry room and now there are these beads that we're supposed to put in our laundry in addition to the bleach, in addition to the soap. We are a culture, we are a people obsessed with covering the stink. And I'm beginning to think that it's blasphemy. We, we, this is an affront to God. We need to face the stink of our lives sometime because, because the reality is sometimes our lives stink. As much as I want to pride myself on always smelling like a bed of roses, sometimes my attitude stinks. Sometimes the state of my love for others stinks. Sometimes my state of holding on to the hope of Jesus Christ stinks. Sometimes my faith gets into the place where it stinks. Sometimes our marriages stink. Sometimes our kids' lives stinks. Sometimes situations at work stinks. Sometimes others bring the stink. Sometimes we bring the stink. But the reality of our lives is that sometimes we stinketh. And Jesus is telling us to roll away the stone. He's saying, if you want the healing, if you want the hope, if you want the faith, if you want the love, if you actually want all that I can do in your life, if you actually want all the gifts that I am offering to you, if you actually want change and transformation in your life, then you have to roll away 
the stone and let me face the stink of death in your lives. Let me face the stink of what's going on. And I get it. Oh, we're mortified. We're shamed. Oh, God forbid that people actually see the inner world of our lives. Oh, do we think that we can hide it from God if we turn off the lights and try to distract ourselves with other things? But isn't it beautiful that Jesus here is boldly and bravely saying to Martha, she's saying to Mary, and, she's, and he's saying to us, roll away the stone. I'm not afraid to face the stink. In fact, if we're gonna actually bring resurrection, I have to get in there. I have to go there. I have to go to that place of stink in your lives. So Jesus tells them, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone of your unbelief. Roll away the stone of your doubt. Roll away the stone of your fears. Roll away the stone of your sins and let Jesus get in there. And Jesus has them roll away the stone. And you can imagine now the scene as the drama is rising to this. And he says a little prayer. He says a little prayer and it's not for him and it's not for God. It's for the people listening, he says. And he doesn't say that too often. He says, I'm actually saying this on behalf of the people so that they know that I am the one sent by the Father. I am the Christ, the Messiah, fully God. I am the one who is about to face death and bring resurrection. And he faces this scene and he calls out, Lazarus, come out. And it says that Lazarus came out. And Lazarus comes out and he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And then the story abruptly ends and it changes into another scene. And that is John's shocking end to make us then stop again and say, wait, what? That easy? That simple? There's two stories that actually went around on what happened to Lazarus after this. One story said that because the people were seeking to kill Jesus and eliminate him, they were also going to pursue his followers and disciples. And there was definitely a conspiracy out to get rid of the evidence, so to speak. So there was a price put on Lazarus's head. And one story says that they went to the island of Cyprus and they lived out their days there. And you can now go to the church of St. Lazarus that still stands to this day and you can worship Jesus there. Another story said that they actually went northwest and they made it all the way to France where they did ministry for a season, but then the Roman Empire under Domitian actually found them and had them all killed. We don't know exactly what happened to Mary and Martha and Lazarus after this incident, but I have a little theory on what happened and why John ended it so abruptly. Will you entertain the pastor on my theory on why it ends so abruptly? Here's my theory on why it ends so abruptly and what John probably wasn't quite sure to know what to do with this story. I can imagine in this glorious moment, everybody was very excited. They were sort of just like slack jawed and in awe. Oh my goodness, this man just came out of the grave. He is alive again. They were ready to have a celebration, but Lazarus gets the grave cloths taken off and he looks around and his first words were probably... No! Oh no! I was in paradise. I was in glory. I was in the kingdom. 
I was there feasting at the table set before him and my God, my father. I was there with saints who ages past have gone on before me. I was there hearing angel choirs and now I've been put back into this mortal shell that is faced with death and decay and evil and sin and all that this world throws at me. Why, Jesus? Why, Jesus? And Jesus maybe had to like pull him aside and be like, Lazarus, no, I'm sorry, dude. I know it was, he probably didn't say dude, I apologize. He's like, I know that you love me and you know that I love you. And trust me, Lazarus, this story will be told until I come again as a testimony to the resurrection that I can offer to all who love me and all whom I love. And you have to imagine then the kind of life that a guy like Lazarus would go on living. Again, we don't know the details of how it played out, but I can imagine scenes like this. Lazarus goes out and he's telling people, I was dead, literally, am alive again now, literally. And Jesus is offering you resurrection life, new life, spiritual life by belief in his name. And the authorities were like, you need to stop talking about Jesus. And he'd say, I'm not gonna stop talking about Jesus. And they'd say, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. And he'd say, oh, really? (laughs) Because guess what? I've been there. I've done that. It ain't so bad. Actually kind of looking forward to what's on the other side. I have no reason to fear ever again what lies on the other side, because I know that there is resurrection and life in Jesus Christ. And oh, that this story can inspire us to be that same kind of people, that because of the faith that we can put in Jesus Christ, because of the new life that we can experience in his name, because we know that our sins can be washed away, because that we know we are born again and born into eternity with him now and forever, we can live that same kind of fearless life that faces all the world throws at us because of his resurrection. Amen, friends? That's what Easter is all about. And if you'll give me just another moment, uh, guys, we can come up because I got to drive it home. You see, again, this is the story and it's too good not to tell because it's amazing how Lazarus's life and journey will parallel what happens with Jesus. Because in just a few weeks, we'll remember that Jesus would face death itself that Jesus would be deeply troubled in his spirit on the night that he would be betrayed. And our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as bravely and boldly as he would face that crucifixion, yet we always see that he was willing to weep and to cry and to call out to God for the pain that we know he would endure. He would even say, if this cup, if this death, if this sacrifice may be passed from me, God, oh God, take it away from me. But if it has to happen this way to show them my love and to win for them salvation, then thy will be done, Father. And he would snort at the trouble. He would snort at the danger. He would snort at that cross he was about to face, but he would die on that cross and his body would be laid at a grave and his body would be wrapped in those same, in, the, in, in, in similar uh, grave cloths. And he would lie there with the stone in place. But he too would rise to new life to show us the power of his resurrection. And so my friends, we put our faith, we put our trust, we put our lives in the promise of that resurrection.
So while we close in worship today, I want to give you the opportunity to pray. As I always want to give us an opportunity to pray. Uh, it will be a simple prayer here uh, for us today. It's just a prayer to trust. To trust that by the death, burial, and resurrection of Lazarus, but by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have no reason ever to fear again what lies on the other side. For we know what is on the other side is the eternal glory and the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this powerful story that you've given us of one man's victory over death through Jesus Christ. But by that one man's victory over death through Jesus Christ, we are all then invited to live into that same story, to know that by the power of trust and belief in your name that all of us can pass from the old and into the new, that all of us can be washed clean of our sins, of our guilt, of our shame, that all of us can boldly face those things that stink in our lives and to know that you can bring us through the cave and through the grave and into new life with you. So I pray that all of us here, whether we've done it a hundred times before, whether we've been doing it for years already, or maybe it's for the first time, that we will put our faith, that we'll put our trust, that we'll put our very lives in the one who can rob the grave of its power, of its victory, of its sting, so that we can stand in new life with you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Let's worship.